Today is Easter, but many people, they don't quite understand Easter. Uh, There was a little five-year-old boy that was in a church Easter pageant, and they had the part where he was supposed to go up. He had this very important line. He was supposed to go up at a critical point and say, He is not here. He is risen. But this young boy got up there and saw all the people and the bright lights, and he kind of froze and forgot his line. And so the, uh, the director had to quick come over and, and whisper his line to him. And then he, was, he heard the line, so he was, he was filled with courage, and he got up to the microphone and said very proudly and triumphantly, He is not here. He's in prison. <laughs> no, that's not quite the same thing. Uh, another young child uh, came home and said to his dad, Okay, I understand about Jesus. I get that, but I don't understand the roses. And dad asked him, what are, you, what are you talking about, son? And he said, why is Christ a rose? <laughs> so this is, this is resurrection day. Easter is where Jesus rose from the dead. I like calling it resurrection day. I wish that was just what we called it. And it might be helpful for people too. A recent study found that actually only 42% of adults tie Easter to the resurrection. 42% only that understand that when we have this day, when we get together in family and bunnies and chocolate eggs and uh, all these things, that it's, that's not what it's about. This is about Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's what this is all about. And I'll tell you, that's what we believe and you may ask, do we, do we really believe this? Uh, yes, we do. You say, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus rose. He, he rose uh, spiritually, right, in our, in our hearts. That's what we mean. Uh, no, no he, he rose. He actually rose from the dead. There was a corpse in a tomb of Jesus who walked this earth, okay, and who you, at, if you went back in time, you could see him, you could shake his hand, a real person, and he was killed in an awful, bloody way on the cross, and he was dead. And everything that happens when you die, all the things that stop working with your body and all of that, and he was put in a tomb. His body was getting cold. His body was starting to become like a body does after it dies. But on that third day, something happened early in the morning. God started to work. God did something, and, and, and the heart started beating again. And neurons started firing in, in, his, in his human brain again. Cells that had, had died started coming back to life. And he was changed and he, he rose and the, he burst forth and showed himself to the women, to the apostles. To, at one point it says 500 that he showed himself to. He was really risen. That's what we believe. Not just a metaphorical thing, not just a spiritual, uh, mystical thing, but that if you went back in time and you had a camcorder, you could, you could film this, you could see this. This happened at a specific place, at a specific day on the calendar. And that's what we really believe. There are a lot of people that may have doubts about that. And maybe you are here and you're... You've come along to uh, church this morning, but you have doubts about this. Could this be something? Could there really be something behind this? Maybe you've gone to church for years, but sometimes you wonder, 
is this for real? Do we really believe this? Or is this a nice kind of myth that we talk about once a year? Well, if that's the case, we are going to be looking at probably the most famous doubter of all time uh, this morning, Thomas. So we're looking at him in John chapter 20 and this event that happened. And we see that Jesus had risen from the dead. He had appeared first to, uh, to Mary Magdalene and, and some of the other women. And then he had appeared to, to the disciples. Well, to at least um, ten of them. Judas was no longer around. And Thomas, for whatever reason, wasn't there the first time. And we don't know why he wasn't there. Uh, I mean, you ever have it where you miss like, the most important thing? I mean, it's, you, you, you go to the bathroom and that's when they score the home run or something. Thomas, I don't know what he was doing, but the most miraculous, amazing thing that he could have experienced and he wasn't there. But the other apostles, they tell him about this. Jesus is risen. We have seen him. And he doesn't believe. He just doesn't believe. Now, we don't know why he wasn't there, but I think ultimately in God's providence, in God's plan, it was for at least two reasons. One, it shows us just the natural unbelief in human hearts. And two, it also shows us the kind of evidence that God considers enough for us to be able to believe. So let's read here. This is John chapter 20, starting with verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the word of God. I want to draw some points out of this, some things that we can, we can learn from this account. And the first thing, I want to think about this, something I think is very helpful for us to learn to do, whether it's about the resurrection or maybe other times too when we're tempted to have doubts about, is this real? Or should we just you know, go along with others that you know, deny all this? When we have doubts, what we need to learn to do is to learn to direct our doubts at disbelief. To learn to direct our doubts at the the things that ought to be doubted. And another way to put it, to learn to doubt our doubts. So Thomas, we've seen, I mean, he was just kind of naturally incredulous. He was not the kind of person that just believed things really easy. In fact, other places we see uh, Thomas... uh, there's a point in John eleven sixteen 16 um, where they're going to go to Jerusalem. And, and Thomas says, he, this is his quote, uh, Let us go also that we may die with him. 
So, all right there, Thomas. Uh, Mr. Positive. Okay, kind of Debbie Downer there, Thomas. So he was not the kind of person with the, uh, this optimistic outlook. And here he refused to believe uh, the testimony of the, the other apostles. And he said to them, You know, unless I, unless I can actually see him, you may tell me this, but unless I can put my nails, my hands in the, the nail prints and in his side, unless I can feel him and touch him, and if I can have this type of evidence to examine, I'm, I'm not going to believe this. Now, I want to think about this. Why would Thomas think that? Why would he, you have ten of these apostles that are coming together and telling him, we have, we have seen Jesus, we have seen him rise from the dead. Why would it be that Thomas would disbelieve them? Is it because he thought they were lying to him? I mean, did he, there has to be some explanation why he wouldn't believe. Did he really think that they would just be making this up and lying to him? Would that fit their character? To just, we're going to lie about this most important thing and tell you that he rose when he really didn't. Did he think, what, is this a prank? I mean, this would be the worst April Fool's Day prank, I mean, ever, if he, they were trying to do this to him. And this was not their mindset that they were going to say, well, hey, let's pull one over on Thomas. You know, remember when we followed around Jesus for like three years and then, you know, we just had this horror of uh, him seeing crucified. It'd be a really funny prank. Let's all tell him we saw him. No, that doesn't make sense either. I mean, what I'm saying is if Thomas would have spent time thinking, okay, if I don't believe these people that are telling me this, what are, what are the other options? And do those options make sense? That they were lying to him? That they were telling a joke? Someone fooled them somehow? Like somehow they uh, forgot what Jesus looked like and maybe mistook someone else? Oh, that must be him. Or what do you think they had? They all had a hallucination? And they all have the exact same one and they all imagine they saw Jesus. No, all those things, they do not make sense. And I think if Thomas would have, at this point, if he would have started doubting his, his doubts here and said, well, they're telling me this, what would be other explanations? And used his doubts to doubt the things that ought to be doubted that could have helped him. So in the same way, we need to learn to doubt our doubts as well. Sometimes we're always on the defensive about the things of God and these things that they happened. But if you don't believe these things, you have to believe something. And if some people would use their same ability to to be skeptical and look at those things, we'd see that the other explanations, they are the ones that they don't stand up. They're the ones that they do not make sense. For example, let's consider... Just the resurrection. Think of all of the things, all of the far-fetched things that you would have to believe if Christ did not rise from the dead. If he didn't. Because you would have to believe something. Let me give you just a few samples here. Because there's actually quite a few. For one, you would have to believe that the Christianity started in Jerusalem, okay, 
right after Jesus' death, with Jesus' body still being in the tomb. Okay, because even, even skeptics admit that there was Jesus, he died on the cross, he was placed in a tomb, and it was the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And you know what? That's not the type of thing that if you were just making something up, you wouldn't say that it was in this tomb of a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, because that's something that you can, people can check this out. This would have been a very well-known place. So Jesus was placed in a tomb, and he was there. And if, if Jesus' body was still in this tomb, why would it be that all of a sudden Christianity would become a thing? That it would spread and that it would, it would take off, not just in far-flung places where they couldn't check this out, but in Jerusalem, right where it happened, where people that were there and saw Jesus die on the cross. It'd be maybe another thing if Christianity had sprouted out you know, hundreds of years later where they couldn't check this out, or in some far-off place instead. But where it started was the same place that this happened. And so this means that people would have been able to check out the fact, was there an empty tomb or was there not an empty tomb? And if Jesus was still in his grave, you wouldn't have Christianity. You wouldn't have uh, how many, you know, millions upon millions of Christians meeting together today to talk about Jesus being risen and the fact that we're worshiping him. It just wouldn't have even started. Because if Jesus, if he was still in the tomb, Think of all they would have had to do to shut down Christianity. Because the Romans, they didn't want Christianity. The Jewish leaders, they didn't want Christianity. If Jesus was still in the tomb, all they had to do was go in there, open up the seals, take Jesus' dead corpse, put it on a cart, and wheel it around uh, Jerusalem, and that's it. And no one is a Christian after that. Because they say he's dead. But that didn't happen. Or maybe you'd have to believe that Jesus' tomb was empty because the disciples stole the body. The disciples who were so terrified that the crucifixion, uh, they didn't stick around. They went into hiding because they were scared. These were not soldiers. Uh, these were uh, these were tax collectors and fishermen and uh, these were not the type of people to take on the, the guards at the tomb and to fight them off and to take Jesus' body. There's a lot of problems with that. Does that fit their character? Because also, this would mean that they knew that they were starting just a lie. All of this was just a lie. Or maybe you believe, some people have proposed this, that Jesus, he actually didn't die from the crucifixion. He just kind of passed out. And maybe they put him in the tomb, and, if, and three days later, he kind of woke up. Maybe the cool air revived him. And he came out, and people, that's why they thought he rose from the dead, because they, they were mistaken about him actually dying. Think, but let's turn our, our doubts on that. Does that make sense? I mean, these Roman... Uh, soldiers that crucify people, this is their job. This is what they did every single day. And you did not come down from that cross alive. I mean, they made sure of that. They knew what they were doing. They could tell when somebody was dead. 
And they knew also if, if they screwed this up, it would be them that would be executed. And think of all the things that Jesus went through. I mean, sometimes with the, with the lashings that he took on his back, you know, the whippings that, that he had, they whipped him with these big whips with uh, pieces of metal or bone or hooks in it, just scraping. He probably had no skin left on his back. He probably went to the cross, you know, already um, some degree of shock from blood loss. Sometimes they didn't even make it that far. And then hanging on the cross, and at the end, they didn't even have to break his legs to speed up his death because they saw he was already dead. And just to make sure, they had the soldiers spear him through to the heart. And blood and water flowed because uh, his pericardium had already filled with, uh, with fluid. And he was dead. So even if you could believe that he came down from that cross, not quite dead, do you really believe then they put him in the tomb, they wrap him up almost like a mummy, and then somehow with no, with no food, with no medicine, with no water, he comes to, he, he, he unwraps himself, and then with his nail-scarred hands, unrolls this massive stone, okay, that takes many, many people to roll this away. He does this and then presents himself. Look at me, I am, I am risen and glorious. Yeah, that's, you can doubt that. That doesn't make sense. We mentioned the apostles. That if they made this up, if they stole the body, any of these things, it would mean that they were willing to die for something that they knew was not true. Something they knew was a lie. And you know, sometimes people, they will die for false religions, we know that. But they die for something that they think is true. But if the disciples stole the body or if they made it up, they would be dying for something that they knew was a lie. And that's just not what we do. If they're doing this to live the cushy life, to whatever they thought they were getting out of this, um, the, disciples, the original apostles, church history records that all of them except for John were martyred. They were all killed for their faith. Says uh, several of them were crucified. Um, Peter says was crucified upside down because he didn't feel that he was worthy to be cru- crucified in the same way as his Lord. Um, Bartholomew. Some of you were here and saw the Risen movie, and there's a scene uh, where it has that was Bartholomew. It was a, a fictional scene, but uh, just the, it shows just the joy he had because of the, the Risen Christ. Do you know what church history says happened to Bartholomew? How he died? He was filleted. Okay, in case you missed what I said, he was filleted. Yes, that means what you think. Filleted and, and then crucified. Now here's the thing. Maybe, maybe it's different with you, but if it's me, and if I know that this is a lie, okay, and I've been just making this up the whole time, and you come to me and say, admit that Jesus did not rise from the dead, admit that this is a lie, or we are going to fillet you. It's at that point that I say, you got me. Okay? You got me. It was a good gig, but now it's over. I admit it. You put away the, the flay knives. Okay? But they were willing to keep preaching this and to not back down. That's because they, they couldn't say anything else. They just knew that this was the truth, that Jesus really had risen from the dead. They had seen him. They had experienced them. 
And it's their change of attitude and their enthusiasm and just everything that convinced people that they are telling the truth about this. There's other things we could think of too. Later on, Paul of Tarsus or Saul of Tarsus, he was converted to Christianity. You would have to believe that he was converted to Christianity even though Jesus did not appear to him. Because if Jesus is dead, he's not appearing to anyone else. So you would have to believe, you would have to explain that in some other way. One, the conversion of Saul or Paul is actually a huge evidence. But then there's other things as well too, just belief in God. Let's say a lot of people, they don't want to believe this because they've started with the presupposition that, well, we know resurrections can't happen because we know there's no God. And they're just starting with that. Well, turn your doubts against that too, okay? Um, I think Tim Keller said that doubts can be like, a, like antibodies. They can actually be good when they're attacking the right thing. They're bad when they're attacking the wrong things, but if you have them attacking the right things. Think of all the things that would have to be true if there was no God. If God does not exist, then everything that you value most is really just a pointless accident. I mean, we try to amuse ourselves sometimes. We try to keep our minds busy so we don't have to think about that. But if there's no God, there's no purpose to your life. You might think, you might try to make something up, but it doesn't matter. If there's no God, it means we are here by accident, if that's even possible. You would have to believe that, okay, somehow the universe came into existence uh, from nothing, with no cause, for no reason, that everything that we look around and see that looks like it's designed really isn't. This is just a big accident. All this complexity, the fact that you have a mind that can think, that you can know that you exist, this is all just by chance because you're nothing but a bunch of atoms banging around together. Can you really believe that? Turn your doubts on the right things. If there's no God, there's no such thing as purpose. There's no such thing as real right and wrong. There's no such thing as justice. There's no such thing as real rights. There's no such thing as love. You may think that you love your spouse. You may think that you love your children. But if there's no God, that's just chemicals. Can you believe that? Are you willing to believe that? Turn your doubts against the right things. If you don't believe in God, when you die, that's it. And everything, your whole life is for nothing. So yeah, one thing we can learn about this from Thomas. We need to learn to turn our doubts at the right things. Learn to doubt your doubts. And this is something that Thomas should have done. But thankfully, we see that God is able to overcome our doubts. That God is the one that takes the initiative. That he can overcome our unbelief, the natural unbelief that is in our hearts. Because oftentimes, our doubts, the reality is that sometimes our doubts are just our own determination not to believe. Perhaps you've heard the story about the man (laughs) that was convinced that he was dead. And he thought that he was dead. He was convinced of this. I mean, he would tell all his relatives, you realize that I'm, I'm dead, I'm a corpse. And eventually the relatives decided, we need to get this guy help. 
So they took him to a, to a counselor and to a, to a doctor to try and talk to him and make this guy realize that he was actually alive. And so they took him in and this, uh, this doctor's talking to him and, and trying to give him all these reasons why he should realize that he's alive. And eventually uh, it's not working. And eventually he says to him, well, you realize dead, dead men don't ble- bleed. He said, let me try and convince you of this. And he got out the medical books and showed him that why dead people don't actually bleed. And he gave him all the reasons uh, for this fact that the dead people don't bleed. And he said, okay, are you convinced? Do you agree with me that dead people do not bleed? And the man said, okay, yes, I agree with you. So the doctor took him and he took a pin, poked him in the finger, and he started bleeding. And the man looked at it and said, huh, I guess dead men do bleed. Sometimes if you are determined not to believe, there's no amount of just evidence that's going to be enough. I mean, you may say, you know, show me the evidence and I'll believe. But really, the unbelieving heart, the attitude really is, well, show me the evidence and I'll just come up with something else because I don't want to believe. I don't want this to be true because I don't want there to be someone else that's Lord over my life. I don't want to acknowledge that I have, I have sin, I have guilt in my life. If this is true, there might be things I need, to, I need to change. And so we have a great way of having lots of smoke screens in our lives to try and convince ourselves that, well, this, is, this isn't true. This couldn't really be happening. So sometimes we have these doubts, but thankfully God can overcome these doubts. Jesus, he appears, it says eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. And this is great. It says, the doors were locked and Jesus came in and stood among them. So it doesn't explain exactly what happened there, but I don't know if that's his resurrection body or just the fact that he's God and he can do these things, but kind of just appears with them. It's amazing. And Jesus said, peace be with you. And Thomas is there. And Jesus says to Thomas, hey, put your finger here. See my hands. And uh, put out your hand and put it sit on my side. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And notice it doesn't actually say that Thomas did that. I mean, he said, I'm not going to believe unless this happens. But I think at this point, he said, oh, I believe. I mean, his exact words where he said, my Lord and my God. I mean, he was changed. He, he was convinced. He, he believed. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? I mean, there's lots of reasons why Thomas, he should have believed already. I mean, he knew there was a God. I mean, he wasn't pretending that there, there was not a God. So he knew that miracles, although unexpected, were not absolutely impossible. Because if there is a God, these things could happen. And he saw Jesus do miracles. He saw those things take place. And he heard Jesus say he, that he would rise again from the dead. And he had the reliable testimony of all the other apostles. I mean, he had believable, reliable testimony of the apostles that he should have believed. And then Jesus goes on and said, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you're ever wondering if there's a place in Scripture where it's talking right to you, do you realize this is, this is talking right to you and me? I mean, Thomas was able to be an eyewitness. I mean, he was able to have the tangible evidence and there was at least 500 some, you know, that the scripture records, they, they saw him. But Jesus is saying, 
you know, Christianity is going to go on for generations. And there's going to be so many others. Most people, they're not going to see Jesus in, in the flesh risen. But they're going to have this, this testimony through, that comes from the apostles that's recorded in the Word of God that's transmitted with the power of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. And he's saying, this is going to be enough. This is sufficient for you to be able to believe. So yeah, I have not seen Jesus in the flesh. You have not seen Jesus in the flesh. But, this, but Jesus here is saying, blessed are you if you, you still believe. It's not a blind faith. It's not a leap in the dark. We have reason We have reason that we can believe. We're not personal witnesses. We have enough. God's testimony is sufficient. We also have the testimony of the apostles. We have the testimony of the eyewitnesses. I mean, you do, whether you choose to look at it or not. But you have it. You can read what they have written, saying, we have seen Jesus risen from the dead from them directly to you, recorded in Scripture. They are reliable people. Like we said, they were willing to give their life for this. Pascal said, I believe those witnesses that get their throats cut. They were willing to die for this. But even more, what makes this so powerful is that it's, it's not just testimony of people, but they wrote this down, and this is the Word of God. And that means that this comes to you as God's Word with the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's something supernatural that is infused in this message. And so when this comes to you from God's Word, this is enough. Jesus is saying this is enough for you to, to, to believe that this is really true. One pastor records, he says, During a dark time in her life, a woman in my congregation complained that she had prayed over and over, God help me to find you, but it got nowhere. And a Christian friend suggested to her that she might change her prayer to, God come and find me. After all, you are the good shepherd who goes looking for the lost sheep. And she concluded, when she was recounting this, she said, the only reason I can tell you this story is he did. I don't think it's up to you to go searching for Jesus. I hope you do. I hope you look at, think about the evidence. I hope you, even more, you're looking at Scripture, you're believing this. But if you still have doubts, if you are still wondering, pray for him to show himself to you. Pray for him to find you. And he will. We trust that he will. And finally, we recognize that if Jesus is risen, this changes everything. Absolutely everything is different if Jesus Christ is risen. Thomas answered him and said, My Lord and my God. Thomas, he was transformed. This one who was the the big skeptic. And in a way, we can be thankful that God in his wisdom let this happen because it shows us that this wasn't a bunch of, you know, easy-believing country bumpkins. I mean, Thomas was somebody that he wanted, 
you know, good evidence. But if God was able to convince and change a, a skeptic like Thomas, we, it gives us so much more reason to believe that this is the real deal. And Thomas is changed, he's transformed, and he spends the rest of his life taking this message out, even dying for this message. If God can convince a doubter like Thomas, it shows that Christ is risen without a doubt. And he wasn't the only one to be transformed. Paul was transformed. The apostles were transformed. The world was transformed. And lives are still being transformed today. Many of you here would testify that you were transformed. That when God, through his word, convinced you that this is This is real. That your old life is different than it was after Jesus entered it. That there's just an old way, an old path that you were heading down, just what you were like. And God did something supernatural and changed you. And it is a testimony, it is evidence that this is real, that there is something to this. And if you haven't been transformed yet, you can be. God is here to show himself to you, to have you realize this. If the resurrection is true, then it proves something that you already know deep in your heart. That the end of this life is not the end. When we finish in this life, it's not just the end, it's not lights out. We continue. And we continue on forever. And if this is the case, then there is nothing more important than to make sure that you are right for the life to come. And that's why I hope that if you are here and you realize that God is speaking to you through his word and testifying to your heart by the Holy Spirit that this is the real deal, don't let yourself be fooled to thinking it's just this little short life and that's it and nothing else matters. Be found by God. Come to him, admit and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And for all of us, stop, let's stop living like this world and everything good that we can get out of it is going to be during this 40, 50, 60, 80, 100 years, this little blip that we might be on this earth, which is nothing compared to eternity. If Jesus is risen, it means there is a God and it means that Jesus is God. Thomas, the skeptic, was used to give one of the most clear statements about the deity of Jesus Christ in Scripture. He said, my Lord and my God, to Jesus, to his face. Now here's the thing. If Jesus is just a good teacher, if he was just some good uh, moral teacher teaching nice things, he would have done like every other good, just human teacher in Scripture has done and say, whoa, you've got this wrong. I I am not your Lord. I am not the Lord and I am not God. Let's get this straight. Jesus did not say that. He accepted this because it was the right thing. He is Lord. He is the Lord. He is the one that is the Lord, needs to be the Lord of our lives. He is our King and He is God. 100% full throttle, actually God. As in created the universe, God as in upholds the universe at every moment, God. As in perfectly holy, as in perfectly loving, perfectly just, all these things, God, that is who Jesus is. That is who the one that had the nail prints in his hand, that is who he is. 
that the man who is God died on the cross for us. The man who is God is, is risen in victory for us. And the man that is God is the one that we worship today and the one that we believe through Scripture is coming back for us one day as well. The one that is God is the one that is the supreme love and treasure of our lives. The one that we give our hearts to. The one that we are willing to sacrifice anything for. Because there is nothing more important than he who is God and who loved us enough to be sacrificed in our place and to be raised again. And Thomas, he didn't just... He, no, he said... He did not, he said, my Lord and my God. I just want to point this out. He didn't, want, he didn't say, mom's Lord and dad's God. He didn't say, grandpa and grandpa's Lord and grandpa and grandpa's God. He didn't say, other people at church is their Lord and other people at church is God. It was, he accepted Jesus as, as his God. Uh, Jesus, he, he's God whether you accept it or not. Okay, let's get that straight. It doesn't change him at all, but it changes your destiny because salvation doesn't come by just having him be somebody else's. That uh, you're here at Easter because this is a family thing and it's, this is mom and dad's thing, but is it yours? Can you say Jesus is your God, your Lord, your Savior? That he died for your sins on the cross. Believe that. Trust that for yourself. And if Jesus is risen, it means that we can have new life through him. The verse is right after this. In John, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. Life, full life, eternal life. The way that is had is by believing in Him. Putting your trust in Him alone, that you may have that. The bottom line of all of this Jesus is risen without a doubt. He is Savior. He is King. He is Lord. He is our Lord. He is our God. So, however you walk, in here. Don't walk out of here a doubter. Walk out of here believing and with life in His name. Let's pray. Lord God, we give You praise. We give You thanks. We thank You for the testimony that You have given to us. All the firm reasons that we have to believe that this really happened. That Jesus Christ really lived that Jesus Christ really is God, that he really died on the cross for our sins, that really, he really rose in triumph on the third day, and that he still is risen. That he exists. He exists to hear our worship. He exists to hear our prayers. He exists now to receive anyone that will come to him. 
Anyone that right now is willing to pray to him, Jesus, I believe. Thank you for your testimony in, in the word from the apostles and, and proclaimed in scripture through the Holy Spirit. I believe this. This is enough for me to believe. And I believe that you died for me. And I confess you as my Lord and my God. So God, we acknowledge you. You are the one to be crowned. You are the one that is victory, Lord and our God. So today, on the day we celebrate your resurrection, we give praise to Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.